I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Summer Solstice, 7th year, 81st turn. Second day in the trees. This is a very wet land, wherever I am. It rained at mid-morning, and again this afternoon. Is this usual for this land, or am I merely in time for the rainy season? I suppose it has to be usual, with the dense greenery. It is strange to think of so much water. I awoke covered in dew, which collected in my scales and ran to the corners of my mouth, affording me a drink. It was very refreshing. There was a little pond in the glade I had slept in, so I decided to take the opportunity to take a bath. We so rarely get a chance to immerse ourselves in water. It feels good to swim, to move through the water like I can fly, even in such a small pond. It was very fun. There were small fish swimming in the pond, and I caught one. It was brightly coloured red on top, with a pale belly. My colleagues in Exio-Ichthyology were unable to make an identification based on such a short description. I let it go, as it was too small for cooking. And as the day wore on, it became hot enough for me to appreciate my swim and the deep drinks I took. Not as hot as the desert must be, but still hot enough that I decided to rest at noon. While I sat by the trail, leaning against the trunk of a tree, I felt something land on my head. At first, I thought it was probably a large leaf or a small branch, but then I felt it move. I stood as still as possible while I waited for it to show itself. Presently, a small creature climbed down from my head to my shoulder and then down my arm. 
It took me a moment to recognize it as similar to the monkeys that they keep as pets in Nalifron. However, this one had a light brown fur, not dark red, and it was half their size. But the face, and the way it used its tail as an extra arm, was unmistakable. It used me as a perch for a while, and I moved very little while it did, only watching it. Then it jumped across the path, up into another tree, and disappeared among its branches. I don't think it ever realized I was alive. What a marvelous encounter. A marvelous encounter with Trelkerson's surprised monkey. The species is quite shy, so it is unlikely it knew what Aphromos was. When I resumed my walk, I soon found the trees changing. I have not visited many forests, but this still strikes me as unusual. The broad-leafed trees I had been seeing were slowly being replaced. The new trees had rougher bark and smaller leaves, and the bushes were not quite as dense. Even the birds began to sound different. Still, what do I know of forests? Perhaps this is the usual way of it. Here, Aphromos encounters his first shift, always a disorienting experience for new travellers in the woods. This is a short entry, but it took me an hour to write. How typical of the summer solstice. Sky Day, 14th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 4th day in the trees. It's been only a few days since I found the strange rocky outcrop among the far downs. Already I've seen such strange sights as I never thought possible. I have never seen so much greenery in all my life. Not even near the river crescent of the Trescu were there so many plants. And such plants! Trees so high I can hardly see their tops. Flowers that bloom in every color imaginable. I have even with my own eyes seen a plant that moves of its own accord, trapping flies. Venus flytrap of some sort, perhaps. Or possibly a loomweb orchid. Truly, this is a wondrous place. But it is not a place without hazards. I found out this morning. I was walking down the path... And who makes these paths, I wonder? Something to find out later. When I saw a strange beast peering at me through the bushes. In aspect, it was similar to the great cats that roam the moorlands. Though with a coat of dappled orange and black, rather than mottled brown. However, it was smaller, and I made the mistake of thinking it was thus less dangerous. I decided to approach it, thinking that if I could tame it, I might have a companion for my journey. No sooner did I reach toward it than it flung itself at me, nearly knocking me over as it scraped at me with its terrible claws. It went straight through the thick robes I wore as though they were lightest silk. Only through providence and my thick hide was I saved from terrible damage. As it was, I have many deep scratches and cuts that I must tend to, lest they sour. I was finally able to grasp the cat by its neck and kill it. What Aphromos encountered was most likely a jungle canny cat, Felis scotius tropicus, though Auster Brownden 
has suggested it may be a dwarf subspecies of jaguar. Given the size of the pilgrim, one could even suppose a normal jaguar. I suppose I should give Evan Oddsworth's magic tiger theory a mention, though no one takes him particularly seriously these days, not since the unfortunate business with the blimp. After it was dead, I heard a soft mewling. I moved the bushes near where the cat had hidden itself and discovered the reason for her ferocity. Yes, her, for I found two kittens there, obviously of the same kind. I felt shame at that moment, for who could fault a mother for protecting her young? If I had left well enough alone, we should both be alive, and these kittens would have their mother. Now I was left with a problem. What was to happen to these two little creatures? If I left them, they would surely starve or be eaten by some other predator. But what do I know of caring for these creatures? Still, what is done is done. I knew there was only one decision I could live with. I took the two of them and placed them inside of my haversack and carried them with me. As I sit by the fire, they watch me with shining eyes. They do not understand what has happened, nor can they know my intentions towards them. But they do not shy away when I touch them, and nor do they bite or claw me when I pick them up. I have named one of them Suja and the other Martap. Translates to luck and courage, respectively. They will need both to survive. I hope I have done the right thing. Beer Day, 14th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 6th day in the trees. The kittens are hungry, I am sure of it, but they won't eat. I've tried everything I can find, but they won't eat any of it. I'm certain that they're meat eaters, with those sharp little teeth. Why then won't they eat the birds or small animals I've caught for them? What did their mother feed them? if not these. It may seem odd that Aphromos didn't know this. However, we must keep in mind that his experience with milk-bearing animals would be limited. I am given to understand barrow nomads feed their hatchlings fresh meat and occasional roots from the time they are born. I've even tried feeding them plants for all the good it did. They are already less energetic than they were yesterday. They no longer climb on me, nor do they explore the campsite with the same interest. They mule loudly, and I worry about how long they can last without food. They've already begun to attract predators. This evening, after I'd made camp, I heard something nearby, in the bushes. On the edge of the firelight, I saw a strange creature. It walked on two legs, but it had a head like a jackal's and it wore no clothing. Its body was covered with coarse brown hair. It was not carrying any weapons, but when it opened its mouth, I could see long, sharp teeth. Clearly a pool's wolf. These predators are cunning hunters who use pack strategies to take down large herbivores. It is unlikely that they would have attacked Aphromos in any case. 
While a pack would certainly be capable of bringing him down, he would be outside their food paradigm. They were likely more curious than anything else. Still, one cannot forget that Etremore Pool disappeared under very suspicious circumstances. They never did find a body. I could hear other things moving around us. Presumably others like it. I stood up and opened my mouth, showing my own teeth and looking it in the eye. As we stared at each other, I let my robes drop, covering the kittens, and puffed up, making myself look larger than I am. After a moment, it turned and left, and I heard the others move away too. I built the fire up after that, but it will be a long time before I am able to sleep. School day, 14th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 7th day in the trees. Martap is dead. He still would not eat this morning and was no longer mewling for food. By noon, he had stopped breathing. I buried him away from the trail and made a small cairn over the grave. I said a prayer for him before I left. May he have water for his journey and stars to guide his steps. My own steps were heavy and slow. I had lost one cat, and the other was slowly dying. For guidance, I chanted as I walked, hoping the low tones would raise my spirits and perhaps bring us luck, my passenger and I. Barrow chanting is typically described as being not unlike a ruminant, with a bad yet very rhythmic digestion. Some kind god must have found me, for when I stopped that afternoon, Suja began to eat the small strips of meat I gave to her. Slowly at first, then ravenously. I swiftly caught two more birds for her, that she would have fresh meat. She is still weak, and I am not sure yet if this has saved her, but I am hopeful. While she ate her fill, I built a small shrine to whatever god of the forest or of the roads listened to my prayers. As I write this, she is sleeping by the fire. We travelled again and are now in a clearing near a stream. There are wildflowers growing, and I am comforted by this reminder of life. But even here, there is strangeness. The stream flows uphill. I was unsure at first, but I tested the slope by rolling small pebbles down by the bank of the stream and by floating small leaves in the water. The pebbles roll one way, but the stream flows the other. When I took a quick walk upstream, I found a waterfall where the water jumped to the top. There is magic here, I am sure of it. No one knows why streams like this form in parts of the Ravelwoods. There are three competing theories. The first is that they are a basic consequence of the instability of time and space in the Ravelwoods. This was proposed by Bedlam Baroque in his work The Palace of Light. The second is that the strong magics that tend to collect in the woods cause them to form. This was proposed by Ixtrot Misplor in his volume What You Didn't Want to Know About the Ravelwoods, But I Shall Tell You Anyway. Finally, the oldest of the three theories 
seen earliest in a work by Varnip the Larger himself, is that it's just one of those things, capitalization his. While it lacks a certain scientific rigor, I admit there are times I want to catalogue entire sections of the Ravelwood's lore under this category. Still, the stream has fish, and I caught several for us. If she will eat, I will be sure to feed her. Erev day, 14th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 8th day in the trees. Suja is doing better. She woke me up several times last night for food, and she's regained much of her former energy. She makes a buzzing sound at times. I wondered about it at first, but it seems to indicate that she's well. I pet her in the evenings, and she lays by my side. Sometimes she rolls on her back and savages my arm gently. So tiny, but already so fierce. She will be a very good hunter when she comes into her full growth, I am sure. Will she need to learn to hunt, the way Conlins must learn from their parents? Or will she know already the skill engraved on her heart, as with Salafins? If she does not know, would it be so terrible? I will take care of her. I can hunt for the both of us. She is welcome company in a strange land and I would be glad to have her by my side. Still, there is no reason to worry about things that have not come and I cannot change. I do not know what will happen, and making plans on a maybe is building a palace on a dune. Today, we found a most remarkable thing. It was a stairway by the path. It is of the spiral kind, made of metal and stone. It soared high above the earth, supported by nothing but air. Vines trailed in and out of the railing, and spiders had made their webs underneath. It looks as though it should fall in the first storm, but it looks old to my eyes. Still, things weather more quickly with frequent rain, or so I have heard. I nearly passed by, but I could not resist testing the staircase with my weight. Gently, carefully, I placed one foot on the stairs, and then another. It held without even a crack. Feeling bolder, I went up another stair, and then another. Then I was walking up the spiral of the stairs, climbing clockwise towards the canopy. I counted the steps as I went, and was soon in the hundreds. When I had reached the 217th step, I stopped to rest. Suja jumped down from my pack, and looked at the stairs. There were fewer vines at that height, though there were more spider webs. I saw one brightly coloured spider eating a dragonfly, hunter eating hunter. I wish Aphromos had been a proper naturalist. His descriptions are often a bit lacking. Then a small green and yellow bird swooped down and swallowed the spider. Was this an omen? or just a reminder that there were many hunters in these woods. Once I was rested, I continued up the stairs, Suja following behind. She occasionally stopped to sniff the vines, or bat at nearby spiders, but she was always caught up quickly when I got too far away. 
After another 50 steps, she climbed up my tattered robes and rode the rest of the way on my shoulder. After 400 steps, we passed through the canopy. The stairway continued even higher. Now that the way was no longer curtained with trees and vines, the height was dizzying. I must confess that I froze for several moments while the forest spun below me. I clutched the metal railing and my colour went dark with fear. After several minutes and Suja's puzzled growling, I reined my fear in and continued upward. After another 50 feet, I reached a platform. On the platform was a weathered bronze bell. A metal inscription underneath it read, In case of peril, ring bell. After some thought, I decided to leave it alone. I am not in any extraordinary danger, so far as I am aware, and did not wish to find out what would happen if the bell was rung in vain. Still, I cannot imagine what sort of peril a bell might help with nor why peril need be capitalised. Tresday, 14th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. Ninth day in the trees. Today I found a structure. I hesitate to call it a building. While it once had a roof, it does not look like any other building I have ever seen. Rather than being box-like or round, it was a shapeless mass covered in dirt. If rotting logs were not exposed, I might have thought it was a hillock. It could have been a hobhole. It was probably for the best that it had been abandoned. Hobs are nasty little creatures, and their diets are even worse than their manners. Only their famously refined taste in music makes them at all tolerable. My first clue was that what appeared at first to be bushes cresting the mound had leaves like those on one of the nearby trees. I realized quickly that it was a tree growing from much lower down than the top. After going around it several times, I felt certain I had located a doorway. It was half buried and overgrown with bushes, but I managed to clear it out. I squeezed through the small opening and looked around. The sunshine streaking through a tree grown up in the structure showed a place that had been long abandoned. I could see pieces of wrought wood, but they were so weathered and broken that I could not tell if they had been part of a table, chair, or any recognizable piece of furniture. The most intact item I found was a metal desk. It was badly rusted, and one leg had been twisted off and thrown to the side. The exposed metal gleamed brightly, with hardly any rust. Experimentally, I tried to pull off one of the other legs, but it proved too strong, even rusted as it was. Clearly, whatever pulled off the leg was stronger than me. Thinking I might spend the night in the place, I explored further and soon uncovered several smaller rooms. One held what may once have been a statue made of dark stone. It had been broken into many smaller pieces. The only identifiable part was an arm, small, and with a strangely smooth, scaleless, furless hand, reaching out as though to touch me. I cannot say why, 
but I found myself afraid of the thing and could not bring myself to touch it. Suja would not enter the room. Another room held a hive of bees, which buzzed warmly at me until I backed away. I had no mind to have them swarm me and possibly sting my eyes or nostrils. The final room I found was half hidden behind the trunk of the tree. There had been a door once, I think, but it had been torn out of the walls. Claw marks scarred the floors, and there were animal bones littered about. Some of them looked disturbingly fresh, with bits of meat still sticking to them. The tooth marks on them looked very deep. Most likely the lair of a juvenile margraun. They prefer small, dark lairs until they've reached their adult height of 15 feet. Once they're fully grown, they no longer worry about predators and sleep out in the open. Only demonkin are a threat to an adult margraun. I am now in a camp several miles away, in a cave protecting Suja and myself from three sides. I have piled up thorny plants in the front of the cave, and I am keeping the fire built up high. I am reminded what the great hunter Telenar Sandtracker once told me. One does not need to be impossible for predators to catch, only harder than convenient. I hope this is enough to discourage whatever was in that room. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wikidot.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Land2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderers Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderers Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.